If you were to look at, say, a tourism commercial or guide to California, they would show you beautiful ski slopes and Hollywood and celebrities. But in reality, California is devolving into a festering, disease-ridden and drug-addled mess. It's complicated. There is a homelessness crisis that results in needles and disease and human waste. I'm going to warn you now, this video is going to be a bit gross. And I know that YouTube will likely de-rank this content because of how graphic it may end up being. It's an important issue that needs to be talked about. And we have some breaking news. Donald Trump is vowing to take action, saying he's going to slap San Francisco with environmental violation over their homelessness problem. Recently, in the New York Times, a story was written about how even though there's a Democratic supermajority in Los Angeles. They can't solve the homeless crisis. Even though the state is dominated by Democrats, they can't solve any of the problems plaguing their cities. We've seen a story recently, a man closing his business because homeless people keep biting him. A woman closing her business because homeless people are sleeping in front of her store and breaking in. The problems are getting worse to the point now where we're hearing that there could be a resurgence in bubonic plague. I'm not joking. I have an actual, I have sources for this. And now there is a fear that there will be a return of leprosy into Los Angeles. Although I will give a caveat, the AP is pushing back on the story. I think it's worthy of highlighting and I'll I'll show you my sources. The latest news, however, is that Donald Trump is finally vowing to take action. Now, I can't tell you that that a violation on San Francisco will solve any of the problems. San Francisco does try to some degree to deal with this. There's stories circulating about San Francisco's, I'm just going to say it, poop patrol. So I don't know if fining them will get them to do anything. They'll pay the fine and say, so what? They'll ignore the problem. The problem will get worse. And I can't tell you what's causing it. Other states certainly have homeless people too, and potentially more. But for whatever reason, California is devolving into a disease and drug riddled mess. Let's read the first story from Daily Caller. I've got a lot to go through here. Before we get started, Head over to TimCast.com slash donate if you would like to support my work. There's a PayPal option, a crypto option, a physical address. But of course, the best thing you can do is share this video. As I mentioned earlier, I guarantee this video will be deranked. It will be restricted in some capacity because it's going to get gross. And, you know, YouTube already deranks independent political commentary. So if you think I do a good job, the best thing you can do to support me is just share this video somewhere to help, help me continue doing what I do. But let's read the story from The Daily Caller. They say, President Donald Trump announced Wednesday that he plans to hit San Francisco with an environmental violation over the pollution and trash caused by the city's homelessness problem. Now, it's not just San Fran, it's LA. LA is is really bad. You know, before we read on, I want to just tell you a quick story. I was recently in Los Angeles. I was in a major metropolitan area. I believe it may, uh, I, I don't remember exactly where, but it was somewhere with a lot of busy traffic. I was parking my car and going to a store. I think it might've been like a Best Buy or something. I can't remember picking up some electronic component. When I parked my car on the lot, I noticed several homeless people and they decided to do their personal business right there in public, in the street, in front of everybody, up against a wall. And I was kind of shocked because I was witnessing people shopping and doing their thing. And right next to me were homeless people doing their other more private business just out in the public. No one seemed to bat an eye. It seemed to be normal. This problem is part of why I left LA. I moved, I moved to LA a while ago with that dream of going to California and I left like within a year because the dream isn't real. The city is messy. Now, don't get, me, don't get me wrong. There's a lot of nice places in LA. It's, it's got beautiful, you know, beaches in LA County, I should say. 
And there are a lot of houses where you get by just fine, but the problem is, is visible. Let's read. They say the president told reporters on Air Force One that the Environmental Protection Agency will be sending out a notice within a week that San Francisco is in violation of regulations because of the amount of pollution flowing into the oceans. It's a terrible situation that's in Los Angeles and in San Francisco. He said, and we're going to be giving San Francisco, they're in total violation. We're going to be giving them a notice very soon. EPA is going to be putting out a notice, he continued. They're in serious violation. San Francisco has experienced an 18% rise in homeless individuals in the city since 2015. And the issue is causing the streets to be littered with human trash, feces, and used needles. An interactive map created in 2014 called Human Wasteland shows a heavy concentration of incidents of human excrement throughout the city. Trump added, they have to clean it up. We can't have our cities going to hell. Well, there have been several stories talking about the failures of Democrats in these supermajority uh, cities and states, California being the most notable. We've seen a story from the New York Times, and now we have one from Forbes. Why California keeps making homelessness work. And I find this story truly interesting because he actually recognizes that after so many years of Democrats dominating the state and the cities, they haven't gotten anything done and perhaps they need to change something. Let's read this story before we get into the more recent stories that are terrifying and about the escalation of disease. They write, on Tuesday, 15 officials from the White House toured Skid Row in Los Angeles with the head of a local homeless shelter. Four or five of them were with the EPA. Rev. Andy Bales of Union Mission Church told me, that's because human waste flows into storm sewers. California is home to some of the world's toughest environmental and public health laws. But skyrocketing homelessness has created an environmental and public health disaster. The 44,000 people living, eating, and defecating on the streets of LA have brought rats and medieval diseases, including typhus. Garbage is everywhere. Experts fear the return of cholera and leprosy. And homelessness is making people violent. Quote, we are seeing behaviors from our guests that I haven't seen in 33 years, said Bales. They are so bizarre and different that I don't even feel right describing the behaviors. It's extreme violence of an extreme, I'm just going to say adult nature. They have been doing this for 33 years and never, I have been doing this for 33 years and never seen anything like it. Bale says he was one of the people who urged the U.S. government's Federal Emergency Management Administration to intervene. We've been crying out for a National Guard-like response, said Bales, whose church provides food, showers, and shelter to 1,350 people camped nearby. In 2016, Bales lost the lower half of his leg to a flesh-eating bacteria from contamination on Skid Row. How did things get so bad in California? The state has long prided itself on being humanistic and innovative. It is home to some of the world's largest public health philanthropies, best hospitals, and most progressive policies on mental health and drug addiction. The Democrats have a supermajority. What went wrong? According to Bales and other experts, California made homelessness worse by making perfect housing the enemy of good housing, by liberalizing drug laws, and by opposing mandatory treatment for mental illness and drug addiction. Other states have done a better job despite spending less money. This isn't rocket science, said John Snook, who runs the uh, Treatment Advocacy Center, which advises states on mental health and homelessness policy around the country. Arizona is a red state that doesn't spend a ton on its services, but is the best scenario in every aspect. World-class coordination with law enforcement, strong oversight. They don't let people fall apart and then return to jail in 30 days like California does. 
What happened in California isn't the first time that we progressives let our idealism get the better of us. To understand how the current disaster unfolded, we have to go back in time, back to the post-World War II era when progressive reformers convinced themselves and others that they could destroy the country's system for dealing with the mentally ill and replace it with a radically different and wholly unproven alternative. And I fear we see a lot of this kind of policy coming from the left. Now, look, I, I grew up firmly on the left with Democrats, but you can see the rampant and, and rapid push towards far left policies. They're talking about abolishing ICE now. I don't think that's a solution. So I want to stress here we have someone pointing out that they're a progressive and they haven't done it right. There's a meme. There are memes that talk about how Republican controlled cities tend to be beautiful, clean and prosperous, while the big major cities continue to fall apart and are led by Democrats. I don't want to sit here and act like it's solely the Democrats doing things wrong and Republicans aren't doing anything wrong. But it's hard to argue that point when it's repeatedly said it's it's a fact. California is blue. The cities are, are overwhelmingly Democrat. And now we're at a point where Trump is intervening. Disease is on the rise and the problem isn't being solved. So perhaps at some point, even people on the left must acknowledge something needs to change. Otherwise, we see this. Here's a story from May. Mountains of trash in LA could cause bubonic plague outbreak, according to an expert. It's not the first time we've heard this. This has been repeated several times now. I believe even Dr. Drew was saying it. Maybe Dr. Drew here. Let's, let's read a little bit. Trash is a growing problem for residents in LA. And as the garbage piles up, so do the rats feeling concerns about flea-borne typhus, according to reports. And there have been typhus outbreaks. Last October, after at least nine reports of the disease, LA officials cleaned up some of the worst piles of garbage. But now the trash has accumulated once again. If they could clean it up before, why can't they continue to clean it up? I have to wonder. I can't walk down the street without thinking that a flea could jump on me. Estela Lopez, executive director of the LA Downtown Industrial Business Improvement District, told the outlet. It could reportedly take up to 90 days for the trash to be removed once again, according to NBC LA. The outlet also reported that the city has no plan for controlling its rodent population. So we've heard the story, and I don't want to rehash too much because you get it. Typhus, bubonic plague. Yes. And now we have this leprosy. I can't actually show you the title of this article because the image is too graphic, but they say, they say this is from legal insurrection. I have been covering the typhus and typhoid outbreaks that have hit Southern California as a result of the rat infestation around homeless encampments. Now an outbreak of a, of a notorious disease leprosy is being reported. A recent study published as a Reuters health report indicates the bacterial infection is emerging in the LA area. Now what they link to is a PDF, and I haven't been able to verify that with Reuters Health, though legal insurrection is certified by NewsGuard as being, you know, factual. It's got a green check mark. But I did find this from The Hill. Is a dark ages disease the new American plague threat? The Hill, it's, it's, it's an opinion piece reporting that bubonic plague could return. So let's not, let's, let's slow down. I don't want to say definitively it is on the rise because that, that is being disputed. But this story and the reason I think this is important is they're talking about the threat of the potential for its return is here. Writing, diseases are reemerging in some parts of the Americas, including Los Angeles County, that we haven't commonly seen since the Middle Ages. One of those is typhus, a disease carried by fleas that feeds on rats, which in turn feed on, on garbage and sewage that is prominent in people-packed in, in people typhus zones. He says, although typhus can be treated with antibiotics, 
the challenge is to identify and treat the disease in resistant, uh, the, the challenge is to identify and treat the disease in resistant, hard to access populations, such as the homeless or the extremely poor in developing countries. I also believe that homeless areas are at risk for the reemergence of another deadly ancient disease, leprosy. Also known as Hansen's disease, leprosy involves a mycobacteria that is very dif- difficult to transmit and very easy to treat with a cocktail of three antibiotics. Yet according to the CDC, there are more than 200,000 new cases of leprosy reported in the world every year, with two-thirds of them in India, home to one-third of the world's poor. The poor are disproportionately affected by this disease because close quarters, poor sanitation, and lack of prompt diagnosis or treatment can easily convert a disease that should be rare to one that is more common. They go on to say that there are, you know, between 100 and 200 reported in the U.S. every year. A study just released from the Keck Medical Center at the University of Southern California looked at 187 leprosy patients treated at the clinic from 73 to 2018 and found that most were Latino originating from Mexico, where the disease is somewhat more common and that there was an average a three-year delay in diagnosis, during which time the side effects of the disease, usually irreversible even with treatment, begin to occur. So you get the point. With 60,000 homeless people and 75% of those lacking temporary shelter, there is a concern this disease could return, especially when we're talking about the rise in the illegal immigrant population coming through the borders. I can't tell you what we should or shouldn't do. I can just highlight the issues and show you the sources. The next important source here is from the Associated Press that are saying the fears of a leprosy outbreak are unfounded. I disagree. This is an opinion piece. Let me stress. They say, claim, leprosy is making a comeback in LA and the city is at risk of an outbreak. The assessment from the AP is false. The number of cases in LA has stayed consistent. Multiple online reports are falsely asserting that Los Angeles is at risk for a leprosy outbreak. I don't know how this, this is being presented as a fact check. Now, I want to make sure I highlight the AP is saying it so you're getting a fair assessment. But let me just push back and say this. This is from a week ago. It doesn't matter if there's an increase or not. If people are saying the homeless problem going unsolved and the, exp- the, the, the spread of rats it, it is occurring and it's a fact, that's creating circumstances where leprosy could reemerge. What the AP has done here is conflate the number of outbreaks with the potential for an increase in outbreaks, which is a non sequitur. It makes no sense. Just because there isn't an outbreak now doesn't mean an outbreak can't occur. I don't know why the AP is trying to push this. It seems odd. They say over the last decade, the, co- the county has averaged two reported cases of leprosy every year. No more than four uh, have been reported in any year during that time. The concern is, as the homeless crisis gets worse, as the feces problem gets worse, as the rat infestation gets worse, the potential for an escalation in leprosy is there, period. Not that it is happening, but that it could. And what the AP says is they're, that they're, it's, a, it's a fallacy to claim they're at risk of an outbreak because the outbreak hasn't happened. That makes no sense. So there you go. You know, you're not going to take my word for it. If you don't believe me, fine. There's the AP. But I want to do a couple more things. In this story the other day, from, uh, from two days ago, from the New York Times, Trump and California see the same homeless problem, but not the same solutions. Well, you know, Trump wants to slap a violation on San Francisco. I don't think that'll solve anything. But I would like to stress, regardless of what, Cal- regardless of what the solution is, if California thinks they have a solution and they have failed this far, the problem has only gotten worse, they haven't dealt with it, 
I'm going to have to lean towards, I don't trust their proposed solution. But there is an interesting tidbit here in the story. They say, San Francisco, open air heroin use, sidewalks smeared in human feces, block long homeless camps and people with severe mental illnesses wading through traffic in socks and hospital clothes. You would be forgiven if you thought that those descriptions of California's urban ills came from the mouth of the state's biggest detractor, Donald, uh, President Trump. After all, as the president jetted off to the Bay Area on Tuesday for a fundraiser, he took a moment with reporters on Air Force One to fulminate against, quote, people living in our best highways, our best streets, our best entrances to buildings. Wow, that was a, that was a crafty statement. But no, the worst description of homelessness, uh, homelessness here frequently come from San Francisco's arch liberal politicians who found themselves this week uncomfortably in agreement with the president they loathe. Mr. Trump's sudden fixation with California's homelessness problem is the rarest of cases where the state's left wing actually recognizes a problem the president feels strongly about. Numerous protesters and politicians said they found Mr. Trump's sudden interest in homelessness to be disingenuous and an example of the administration trying to score political points at the state's expense instead of actually grappling with a humanitarian crisis that has become the driving political issue in, a, in state and local politics. No, 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 no. You get no exemptions from me, Democrats. Trump talked about the problem on the border the whole time, and the Democrats obstructed. And it got to a point where the crisis was so absurd that Democrats finally caved and acknowledged it. The media said there was no crisis. It was a hoax. It was made up by the administration. The Democrats haven't solved their problem. So no, you don't get to come out now when the Trump administration says, hey, there's a pro-, when the Trump administration comes out and points to the problem and say, I don't believe Trump actually cares. That's so, that's so insane to me. You think the president doesn't care about homelessness, dude. There is no evil villain. There is no great demon. There are only people who think their problems come first and foremost. If the president flies to California and sees a problem and brings it up, you can't then say, I don't believe he actually cares. Sorry. You're just, a, you're, 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 that's an ad hominem. You're attacking the character instead of addressing the point he's making, which is correct. California, you have a serious problem, a problem so bad that there have been numerous stories now, at least two, where business owners have said they're forced to close their business down because of the homelessness problem. This story from last month, a Sacramento business owner saying, I'm angry, forced to relocate. A couple weeks ago, there was a story of a, a, it was a liquor store, I believe, where the man said he was bitten numerous times by homeless people. And because of it, he was fed up and shutting down. This is not something you can ignore. And I have to stress, it's gotten to the point where the, it's in the news. It's in the New York Times. You want, you, want me to, you want to ask me why I think Trump cares? Are there political points to be earned for Trump? Of course there are. But why does Trump care? The same as anybody who doesn't live in California would care. The New York Times writes about it. Forbes writes about it. The New York Post writes about it. How many stories have to pop up talking about the potential risk of diseases, the resurgence of diseases, for you to say, yeah, maybe Trump cares because it's now being highlighted? Out of sight, out of mind. If the president doesn't know about it, how can he address it? Well, he's actually a bit late to the party. People like me and many others have highlighted the problem. And, and don't look at me. Don't act like it's a partisan thing. The New York Times wrote about this. Forbes writes about this, blaming the Democrats. You know, I, maybe, maybe that's a bit hyperbolic to say blaming, but pointing out that even with Democrats in control, they couldn't solve the problem. So you know what? I know friends who don't live in California who are concerned about it. I'm not surprised the president would be. It's a crisis on his watch. And here's the funny part. I know 
If Trump doesn't do anything, what'll happen? They'll come out and say, Trump doesn't even care about the problem in California. Why is he talking about the border when he can't solve the problem in California? Blah, blah, blah. That's what they'll do. You know, if he doesn't address it, they'll say he doesn't care and he's ignoring it. And if he does, they'll say, oh, it's all for political points. Well, I don't know what to tell you, man. The problem's legit. It's getting worse. Story after story, we have a risk of a leprosy outbreak. At least that's what people are saying because of the rats and the human waste. We have even Democrats acknowledging the problem. Go ahead and accuse the president. I don't care. I don't uh, know if a violation is going to solve anything. In fact, I'll say this. I don't think Trump giving, uh, you know, slapping SF with a violation will do anything. I don't. They don't care. San Francisco does not care. You know, I think to a certain extent they care. You know, they're probably going like, yeah, 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 we'll deal with it. But they're not prioritizing the problem. They're not solving the problem. They'll get slapped with a violation. It won't do anything. So I don't think even Trump addressing this is going to change anything. I don't know what Trump can do. We have seen other action. This story from just the other day, Trump revokes waiver for California to set higher auto emission standards. Now there is a lot of environmental action going towards uh, California. This is a completely different story. But uh, the reason I highlight this is because it's actually something being done that's going to impact California. A violation won't do that. Let's say you're speeding. Let's say you're rich and you speed. You get, you get pulled over, you get a ticket. Hey, don't speed again. You're going to pay a $100 fine. They don't care. They're rich. They'll speed again. I don't think this will solve the problem. I don't know what Trump should or shouldn't do. All I know is, you know, I guess it's good he's addressing it and shining light on the the situation. I don't know what will solve this problem. What I do know is it's not being taken care of. And hopefully this escalates it. California is becoming a wasteland. I'm sorry, it, 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 it is. Not all of the state, just many of the cities. I'll leave it there. Stick around. Next segment will be coming up at youtube.com slash timcastnews at 6 p.m. Thanks for hanging out. I will see you all next time. Is there like a reset the clock for when leftists do things that are racist or offensive? Because, you know, for those that are familiar, reset the clock is this thing where male feminists, you know, assault women or get accused of assaulting women. The idea being like how much time has passed since the last time it happened because it happened so often. Why is it that we hear so many stories about, I don't know, comedians who are leftists or now the prime minister of Canada? Famed leftist Justin Trudeau wearing brownface. Okay, here's the thing. As you've likely uh, inferred from the title, or you just directly understood, there are actually three photos that have surfaced as of the time of filming this video of Justin Trudeau wearing blackface. <laughs> it's 2001. Okay, this has been offensive a lot longer than that. But my, so, so let me, okay, let me start over, because here's the thing. The other day, I saw this story pop up and I was like, oh man, Justin Trudeau, here we go again. And I kind of ignored it. Like, whatever, man. Justin Trudeau had to apologize. He was dressing like, you know, Aladdin or something. I don't know. Yeah, it's offensive. I get it. I really don't care for the digging up people's past and then wiggling your arms in the air. And then another photo surfaced and I, and I chuckled to myself and I thought, wow, isn't that funny? He's done it more than once. Okay, I guess not really a one-off. He kind of does this often. And uh, I still wanted to ignore it. I'm like, you know, whatever. Who cares? Justin Trudeau's a weird guy. He's done a weird thing. Can we move on and talk about things that are more important? And then a third photo. (laughs) Come on, man. Okay. So finally, after the second, and then finally, the third, I said, okay, okay, okay. I'm going to have to talk about what's going on with Justin Trudeau because he has a history of dressing in, putting, dressing up in blackface. This is a guy who was supposed to be, you know, he's the one who made the joke about um, people self or I don't know, people, people kind. And I guess, so if you're not familiar, Justin Trudeau 
was like at a rally and someone said mankind. And then he was like, we like to say people kind. And then everyone clapped. And then later he said it was supposed to be a joke. But let me just stress this point. This is like, this is a guy who's such a lefty. He said people kind. And everyone clapped for it. They didn't think it was a joke. They believe that's who he is. Well, apparently now he's a blackface guy. And there are three photos. So I guess we'll go through them as quickly as we can because we have three different stories. Before we get started, head over to TimCast.com donate to support my work. There's a PayPal option, a crypto option, a physical address you can send things to. The best thing you can do, oh boy, share this video because I assure you, showing images of Justin Trudeau in blackface and talking about it is going to get me demonetized and deranked. So you know what, man? I don't know why I do this to myself. I could start a Minecraft channel and make way more money. You know, it's really funny. People are like, you know, they accuse me and other people of being grifters. And it's like, dude, do you have any idea what YouTube does to our content when we talk about this stuff? This is mainstream international politics where the prime minister of Canada, who's supposed to be a leftist, has repeatedly worn blackface. And simply by talking about it, YouTube is going to try and knock me down. Some of the, the, the top rated cable channel is Fox News. They can talk about this all they want. You know what, man, YouTube, get your act together, okay? This is the news. You're not going to turn YouTube into a kid's channel, okay? There are going to be adults watching it. You can't do anything about it. Kids can turn on Fox News if they want. Here's the first story. Oh, man, Justin Trudeau, Canada's prime minister, wore brown face. Oh, brown face. It's a different thing. Make up to a party at the private school where he was teaching in the spring of 2001. Time has obtained a photograph of the incident. The photograph has not been previously reported. What, what is this? Is this in the yearbook or something? The picture was taken at an Arabian Nights-themed gala. It shows Trudeau, then 29, the 29-year-old son of the late former Prime Minister Pierre Trudeau, wearing a turban and robes, with his face, neck, and hands completely darkened. The photograph appears in the 2000-2001 yearbook of West Point Grey Academy, a private school where Trudeau was a teacher. This is not a story about a, a young kid who made a mistake. This is a story about a grown man putting on brown face at a time where it, it was offensive. Now, I, I will stress and I will uh, acknowledge you had comedians like Jimmy Kimmel and you know, Sarah Silverman, and you even had Robert Downey Jr. It wasn't as offensive. Okay? It was offensive. It was like a cultural taboo, but you could joke about it. This isn't a comedic context. When Sarah Silverman did it, it was meant to make a point. Jimmy Kimmel, however, it was in a comedic context, but it was meant to be shocking and offensive. That I understand. You're trying to tell a joke, you shock and offend. Jimmy Kimmel dressed, you know, he put on blackface. I don't think they should get a free pass. They shouldn't. In this instance, however, it's not a comedic context. Like, so, so let me stress this. Let, let, me, let me go back to this point. The original, you know, blackface was a comedic context, but it was very, very different. It was directly targeting and making fun of, you know, certain, a certain group of people. With Jimmy Kimmel, he was kind of doing that. But I get it because the context today is that he's trying to shock and offend. He knows what he's doing is offensive. While I'm not saying it's right, I'm saying context is, is extremely important in how we understand these things. In this instance, he's literally just dressing up in a costume. So there's no comedic context. It's him just doing it. Granted, I don't think at the time what he did was considered to be particularly offensive. No, I, I, and I mean that. They're calling it brownface, but he just darkened his skin to look like some kind of prince. I don't know what the intention was, but I, I definitely think today's day and age, everything is so outrageously offensive. Now, something that his friends clearly didn't care about, and even a woman who's you know seemingly of Asian descent, are sitting there with him smiling. 
They weren't offended by it. And I can, I can, I can assume other people weren't either. It's today's standards being applied retroactively. So here's the next thing. Apparently he's done it again. Uh, here's Justin Trudeau in blackface at Jean Brebeuf, Brebeuf High School. What is that? I don't know what that means. Well, that was fast. So this is what, I don't know what the source is. This is Vancouver is awesome. I don't know. This is not certified or anything, but you have this tweet from this dude and it says, um, 18, uh, as I wrote earlier today, this afternoon, Time Magazine released a photo of our prime minister, Justin Trudeau in brownface. It was a bombshell to say the very least. 18 years after it happened, a photograph from a yearbook finally saw the light of day. Now, not six hours later, the second photo of Trudeau acting racist, his word, not mine, has emerged. The Globe and Mail's Ottawa bureau chief tweeted out the photo as seen above, and it's included in this piece they published. This particular photograph is of your country's leader in full blackface, donning an Afro wig. Okay, okay. I tried, I tried to be understanding to the last photo, where I'm pointing out dressing up like an Arabian prince clearly wasn't offensive to the people back then, and it's extremely offensive today, so they're retroactively applying today's standards. This, however, I'm sorry, this was <laughs> offensive back then. Well, I don't know when he did this. I assume it's, it's around the same time. But okay, we get it. Now on to instance number three. Exclusive. Video shows Trudeau in blackface in third instance of racist makeup. Come on, dude. Why is it that so many people on the left have a problem calling this out? Why can't they see it? Sarah Silverman? Well, she lost her job, actually. Sarah Silverman did that sketch. She actually lost a job because of it. That's nuts. But you have Jimmy Kimmel, and, and, and I can't remember. You, you have the guy in Virginia. They won't do anything about this, okay? It's like you get, uh, what you call it? You get Megyn Kelly on, on, on her, or what was it, like NBC or ABC show. And she asks why it's offensive to wear makeup. They terminate her. How dare you ask a question that you don't understand the cultural context to? Ignorance is verboten. And then you get the governor of Virginia actually doing it. You get uh, Jimmy Kimmel. Granted, I will stress, Sarah Silverman lost a job over it. I don't know if you saw that story, but she was uh, apparently like talking to an agent and they said, because of this old sketch you did 12 years ago, we're not taking for this job. That's nuts. Okay, that's insane. You know, you can tell her, hey, don't do that again. And she'll say, sure. But here, but I, I have to understand, right? So, so there, it's not, it's not, it's not absolute, right? Sarah Silverman is, is, you know, feeling the pain, but come on, man. How does this happen so often? No, no, nobody vets these people. They think it's okay. Well, I'll tell you what, Justin, you reap what you sow. This is your side. It's your ideology. It's what you push. It's your dirty religion. It's just weird you know, intersectionality is this new religion where everything's offensive and anything you've ever done at any point for any reason is wrong and you will lose your job because of it. So now, now we have, you know, look, I'll say this. They're not going to do anything. Justin Trudeau is not going to get fired. He's not going to resign. He's going to just wiggle his hands and be like, oh, I'm so, it's a learning moment for all of us. And the left is going to go, oh, Justin, you're so sweet for admitting your faults. And then you look at Sarah Silverman and you're like, yeah, well, what about her? <laughs> Why did she get fired? And then you look at the guy in Virginia who like does nothing and no one cares. And then you look at Megyn Kelly. Like she just simply, did you guys know the story about Megyn Kelly? She was on a, sh- she had a morning show or whatever. And they were talking about blackface. I think it was in the context of Virginia. And she said she didn't understand why it was offensive. So they terminated her. I think they terminated. I don't know what happened, but essentially that was the end of her show and she got a buyout or something. I mean, the show wasn't doing well enough to begin with. But I, I actually, I'd be willing to take a gentleman's bet. You, from, you know what a gentleman's bet is? Basically, it's no money. 
A gentleman's bet is, I would like to propose a gentleman's bet that literally nothing will come of this. Three photos surface. This is not a one-off. This is triple the outrage. Are they going to do anything? No. Will the left protest? Probably not. Are they, they're going to ask for an apology or something. They're going to call it a learning moment. He's going to say, you know, it's a different time. And they're all going to smile and cheer and say, look how far we've come. Heaven forbid a, anybody who is outside the mainstream establishment ever talk about anything like this at all, because they will just be like, no forgiveness. One of the biggest problems with all communities, with all tribes, is the refusal to police their own. And so the problem you see with Republicans is they have no problem, for the most part, policing their own. There are certainly circumstances where they don't. All tribes are guilty of this. But Steve King is the best example. He's the guy from, I think, Iowa. He made some tweet about white nationalism, and they stripped him of every caucus. You you probably know the story if you've watched enough of my videos. They said, enough. We won't tolerate this. Get him out. And now he's not even, apparently he's raising no money. Nobody wants him. But then you look at what the left does with Ilhan Omar. Nothing. They defend her. Ah, she apologized. Okay, fine. But do they condemn her? Do they censure? They, they do nothing. Now you're going to get Trudeau. Nothing's going to come of this. The, the Northam dude in Virginia, nothing will come of this. Every so often, though, you know, it's like an inversion. What I've seen is that when there are egregious actions like this, the right will, will burn the, their own down. They'll say, get out. You're damaging us. We don't want to deal with it. So it's something like the slight majority of instances on the right are dealt with, whereas the slight majority of things on the left are ignored. You see, it's like an inversion. Sarah Silverman does lose a job. It happens. But then you look at all these other instances, totally fine. Totally, totally okay. So will anything come of Justin Trudeau wearing blackface in three instances? The answer is, come on, man. Are you serious? No, of course not. And I'll make this point too. I'm willing to bet there's going to be a lot more videos surfacing soon. Right. So like I, like I mentioned earlier on, I saw the first story and I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. We know we know the dude's offensive. He put on that like costume from India and started dancing around and everybody got offended by it. I get it. The dude does it. Then the second photo emerges and I was like, oh, Justin, what are you doing, man? But you know what? It was a long time ago. And then there's the third photo. I'm like, all right, that's it. I'm out. <laughs> this dude apparently has a history. And I guess uh, they asked he, he, they, they asked him on a plane, right? So uh, we have this other story from the, globe, the uh, globalnews.ca. Justin Trudeau bound, uh, brownface bombshell hit the liberal campaign bus. And apparently, uh, this is from, uh, I thought the story was from yesterday, but I guess this one's published today, where he basically said something like, oh, you know, I love those, uh, those costumes. All right, let's, let's read this a little bit. I want to get to his quote. All of a sudden, all right, let's, okay. When he was done, the media bus, one of two large motor coaches covered in giant photos of Trudeau, rolled out for the Halifax airport, where a plane was waiting to take the caravan west to Winnipeg. All of a sudden, phones and laptops began to light up. Someone clicked on the news story and read out the headline. Justin Trudeau wore brown face at 2001 Arabian Nights party. Oh my God, there's a photo <laughs> with Justin right there. Oh my God, there's a photo. <laughs> There he was, standing with four young women in brown face makeup. Okay, I, I want to I talk about this too. Like what? I'm not familiar with brown face. I understand the context around blackface, minstrel shows, racism in this country. I'm not sure, is brown face just like um, offensive by, by like uh, uh, proximity? 
because it's very similar to blackface. Uh, look, you, you can get mad at me all day and night for being ignorant because they went after Megyn Kelly for this, but I'm sorry if I'm asking a question. I don't understand the context around brownface. Is it, you know, on, I'm honestly asking, is it just because it's very similar to blackface? It's an honest question. There he was standing with four young women in brownface makeup, a tall costume turban on his head, younger, but it was him, no question. A consensus formed quickly. Trudeau would have to give a statement before leaving for Manitoba. Four hours of airborne radio silence was not going to be okay. So uh, where's his quote? There, blah, blah, blah. RCMP sniffed the dogs. When he finally emerged. Oh, okay, so I guess he get, yeah, he's on the plane. When he finally emerged, it was no longer the grinning, energetic campaign Trudeau, but a slow, somber ver- uh, version. He spoke quietly and deliberately. Well, how do you speak indeliberately? Do you mutter inc- uncontrollably? Interrupted periodically by the din of shouted questions. The only flash of frustration came when he was asked how he could explain things to his children. And here's, and here we go. I'm going to have a conversation with them tomorrow morning before they go to school about taking responsibility for mistakes we make, about living every day to try to be a better person and recognizing that when you make mistakes, you have to take responsibility for it. You have to own up to it and you have to promise to do better. That's what I expect of my kids. That's how I'm raising them. And that's certainly the conversation I'll have with them tomorrow. Before long, he was gone again. We had 45 minutes to file. Truly, truly incredible, incredible statement, Trudeau, recognizing your faults and then having done it repeatedly in the past. And all of these photos keep popping up where apparently now there are three. So look, there it is. It's what I said. He's going to be like, we're working to, you know, be a better tomorrow, blah, blah, blah. And you're going to get a bunch of people on the left going like, it's so brave of him to acknowledge his mistakes. It is. I get it. I agree. The problem is the double standard. I think Justin Trudeau, he shouldn't lose his job. He shouldn't, he shouldn't resign. Let him do his thing. He was told it was offensive. Fine, whatever. Can we move on? I agree with that. That's the standard the left holds the left to and the media holds the left to. But what about a Republican? What about a moderate? You know, you'll never get that benefit. You know that if there was like you name like uh, uh, any any conservative personality, especially any anti-establishment and and to an extent anti-establishment leftists, and they will rip you apart with no forgiveness. They, they, they will come at you with the, the hardest, you know, they'll throw the book at you. Basically, if you're part of their tribe, they'll say, we won't hold you accountable. If you're not, they'll rip you up. Anyway, I'm done. Leave it there. Stick around. Next segment will be coming up at 1 p.m. on this channel, and I will see you all then. I got a couple stories pertaining to the far left push, and you know I talk about this a whole lot. But from the Daily Caller, former Obama campaign officials message to socialists, don't hijack my party. You know, I had a a conversation recently talking about the left and the Democrats and why I talk about them so much. Why Tim, someone who's been on the left, been very, you know, very much a Democrat most of his life, or at least independent leaning Democrat, not like a diehard political guy. Why I would be so upset and concerned? Well, it's for the same reason this guy is. This is an Obama campaign official speaking to the Daily Caller, I believe, in an interview with the Daily Caller, Stephanie Hamill. This is an Obama guy talking to a conservative outlet saying they're going too far left. But I do have another story because this story is particularly short, but it exemplifies kind of what I've been talking about. Take a look at this next story. Death by donors, the untold story of Think Progress's demise. Media observers commonly point to plummeting ad revenue as the cause of the leading progressive outlet's death. But the truth is much more complicated. Now, it may seem these stories are completely unrelated, but trust me, they aren't. What we're seeing with this story about Think Progress, a very far left site, 
is that they don't have donors anymore. So let me, let me stress this. Think Progress ran on a deficit. It was a progressive news website. It did make ad revenue, but they lost big donors. This led to the collapse of Think Progress. So think about it. Here's the conclusion. Here's the assumption I will make. Granted, it's an assumption. When you have former Obama officials saying, don't hijack my party. When you have CNN running op-ed saying, when did Obama become a Republican? Something becomes clear. The people on the moderate left are no longer willing to support this. Think progress starts defending socialism, starts embracing wokeness, and the donors vanish. A, A former Obama official says, you're going too far left. It's tied together. Regular people in this country, the rational moderate left, are not having any of this. And because the 2020 Democrats have begun embracing such absurd insanity and far left, I don't even like saying far left because what's happening is they take existing rhetoric and then go nuts with it. Julian Castro says, I think we should decriminalize border, illegal border crossings altogether. So then Bernie goes, let's just not deport anybody anymore. What they do is they take one policy and advance it and make it more extreme. Beto O'Rourke is now calling for a mandatory uh, uh, confiscation of legal products under the Second Amendment. So they one-up each other to this point where they lose the support they once had. These are Obama people. Let's read the story, read a little bit of the Daily Beast, but I do want to talk about this. I didn't highlight this in the last video I did talking about the shift, but I want to do it now. But let's, let's get started with the Daily Caller. It is very short. Before we get started, head over to timcast.com slash donate if you'd like to support my work. There's a PayPal option, a crypto option, a physical address, but the best thing you can do, share this video especially talking about issues like this that the establishment doesn't like. Now, admittedly, the Democrats are fractured between the progressive wing that's taking over and the dying establishment base. But both sides don't like being called out. And that's what we're going to do, at least a little bit. So if you like the video, consider sharing it so that we can break some echo chambers and help get past YouTube's deranking, etc., etc. From The Daily Caller, they say during a sit-down interview with Daily Caller Stephanie Hamill, he said, this is uh, Robin Bureau, He said there were still people with common sense in his party and the majority of Democratic voters aren't socialists. The people making the decision, the elected officials, they're going so far left, they're losing our core voters. Yep. And they're all going to Trump. Okay, not all of them, but a lot of them. Bureau also went on to say, when it comes to 2020 Democratic candidates, that former Vice President Joe Biden wouldn't be his first or even his second choice. Now, They essentially want you to watch the interview, but I think this is great jumping off context to talk about the next story. And that's the lead, right? That's the, I'm probably going to title the video with, with this, uh, in that capacity, because I think that leads into the more important, uh, story here. Or I'm sorry, that's the more important story, but it leads into stories like this. Think Progress at one point had a million dollar donation. They, they started losing donors. In this story, they go through how they're claiming They couldn't generate enough ad revenue for their progressive news website. But in reality, revenues were actually up. So I don't want to read through, you know, they go and they rehash a lot of the old details that I'm really not super concerned about, but I guess we'll just, uh, let's read this to under, uh, yeah, yeah. Okay. They say, uh, quote, like most media organizations, think progress has relied on advertising revenue as a major source of funding, increasingly subject to the behavior of social media platforms and their decisions, uh, uh, decisions on news, news distribution. Nayak told the Daily Beast back in early June, like so many other news outlets that have relied on advertising to fund its work, 
think progress has seen a significant drop in revenue in recent years, along with other financial strains. It's true. Their ad revenue is down. However, it started to uptick. This, I think, is them trying to hide the fact that the core Democratic base is abandoning the progressive cause. They don't want, I don't want to say progressive cause, but they don't want to get behind the far left insanity. So the, look, look, the people who have money in the Democratic Party run businesses. So they may be left leaning, but they're probably not going to want to give away all their money, give healthcare to non-citizens, decriminalize border crossings and confiscate everyone's legal property. That's just too far. So let's read on. To underscore these assertions, Nike noted in his May budget document that advertising revenue in 2019 was expected to come in under $500,000, which would have been the budgetary equivalent of a five alarm fire. But that projection turned out to be more dire than what ended up taking place. A new internal budget document obtained by the Daily Beast and authenticated by two sources showed that Think Progress was on pace to bring in $618,000 in ad revenue in 2019. That uptick was credited to a better than expected June and July. Ad revenues would still fall short of what the site brought in in 2018 and well short of what it had budgeted for 2019, but it was roughly $120,000 more than had been projected when Nyack had crunched the numbers in May. By no means did those numbers mean that Think Progress was on solid financial footing. Indeed, top officials at CAP, that's the Center for American Progress, I think that's what it's called, still concluded that without a more significant uptick in ad revenues, the think tank could not rationalize paying the tab to keep the site afloat. A third budget document provided by officials at CAP showed that from 2012 to 2017, the think tank never had to cover more than uh, $915,000 shortfall for Think Progress. But in 2018, that shortfall skyrocketed to $2.3 million. So basically what they say is uh, they lost big donors, and they're also not getting ad revenue. The first thing I want to point out, segueing from the story about the Obama campaign official, is that, you know, the point I just made, big donors and people who want to see the Democrats win think the Democrats are probably going too far, or for whatever reason, the, the site couldn't get the donations it needed. But losing ad revenue is also another really important point. People weren't watching or reading this content. They weren't looking for it. So the more Think Progress tried to push this stuff, it just didn't work. If you're not going to get ad revenue, and you're not, actually, let me put it this way. Vice layoffs, Vox layoffs, Disney writing off its entire investment in Vice, Mike.com's fire sale, Think Progress collapse, all of the woke media collapsing for whatever reason, exemplified by what this man is saying. The left doesn't like it. Then you have someone like me, Tim Pool, producing six segments every day. Revenue is through the roof. And I just talk about my opinion. You know why? Moderate people, rational people who once voted Democrat are watching me. They're not interested in you embracing the fringe of the fringe. They want a rational and strong center. And I am moderately to the left. I am a moderate leaning left like most people. Most people in this country, it's like 60 something percent do not belong to a political party. The parties are like 30 and 27 percent or something like that. The average person in this country is an independent and willing to vote whichever direction makes the most sense. So why is it then that my company is expanding? We're fundraising like crazy. We're about to you know, move into a bigger office, hire more people. Things are going great. And these companies are all collapsing because it's exactly like f- former Obama campaign person says. But let me give you this fact-based example. People often say that, you know, you hear from the left and you hear from the media that Trump has gone far to the right. The far right is taking over and all that nonsense. Oh, please. 
This is from the New York Times, and I know I've shown it before, but it's relevant here. We can see that from 2012 to 2016, Trump has moved the Republican Party to the left. Not entirely on his own, the party itself slightly moved to the left. We can see in 2008, it went further right. This is based off of the Republican manifestos. So these are things put out by Republicans explaining what they want to do and why they want to do it. Look at the Democrats. What happens if you're a regular person who voted for Obama twice? So you're in between these two lines, right? You're probably right here because in 2012, he moved further to the left. You're right here. You're an Obama voter. Now they're all the way over here calling you far right. Yeah, people are probably going to be fed up, not interested, more importantly. Why are the Democrats veering so quickly and so far to the left? And I have to stress, since this, this, this only goes to 2016, add 2018, it will be even further left because of the rise of the far left Democrats like the squad. You now have people like me who are slightly to the left of Obama on a lot of issues, and the Democrats definitely, them, the rest of the Democrats, now looking at a party that has skyrocketed, just launched itself so far left, and here I am being called a conservative and Trump being called far right. Let me just break it down for you. Why is Think Progress failing? Why is woke media failing? Because of what you see from this, okay? We recognize it. We can see that the party is being hijacked, and I don't think there's anything to do about it, anything they can do about it. Gallup shows that the party is becoming more and more progressive. So don't be surprised when there's a backlash, when your woke media fails. Just because you as a politician are embracing this doesn't mean people like it. Many people will just vote Democrat. They're going to be like, I don't know, man, whatever. But a lot of people, the majority of the people in this country who are unaffiliated are not going to be having it. And they're going to be like, I'm either not going to vote or I'm going to vote here. So you're going to get a lot of moderates and independents voting for Trump because he has moved the party slightly to the left. And you can look at the data and it's there. But the Democrats have lost it so much so that their media, the, the woke media is collapsing. Former Democrat, you know, people are coming out and saying, absolutely not. You're, you're, you're hijacking the party and regular people don't like it. So, you know, I'll, I'll leave it there. You get the point. Um, maybe, maybe a little convoluted, but the general idea I'm trying to convey is when you see the collapse of woke media, partly this story, think progress is a lost donors you know, big, wealthy individuals who wanted to support democratic and progressive causes are out. They're out. And, and, and so look at it this way. Obama's campaign people are likely the people who would have donated. And they're saying, nah, I'm not interested in this woke rage bait nonsense. And regular people aren't watching anymore. There you have it. I'll leave it there. Stick around. Next segment will be coming up at 4 p.m. YouTube.com slash Timcast. I will see you all there. There's a meme going around showing a mural at a school of Obama. It's the hope image or something. And this image, high school cheerleaders on probation for posing with pro-Trump banner. When I saw the story, I was kind of confused. I don't understand why high school students can't hold up a banner for the president of the country in which they live. I mean, I remember seeing pictures of Bill Clinton in the classroom was that an endorsement of his reelection? I guess that's the question being asked. They didn't just hold up a Trump banner. They held up a Trump 2020 banner. But I still kind of feel like it's weird that they would get in trouble at all for simply supporting the person who is currently the president. I mean, are we, are we a country now where you can't tell anybody? The question they're asking, I suppose, has to do with whether or not the school is endorsing the president. But think about how crazy it is that a bunch of high school students are in trouble for doing this. Well, let's read the news and talk about the absurdity that is the modern condition. Before we get started, 
Head over to TimCast.com slash donate if you would like to support my work. There's a PayPal option, a crypto option, a physical address. But of course, share this video if you think I do a good job because for obvious reasons, look, we live in a world right now where high school students are in trouble for simply saying they support the president. I think that's very strange. We're also in a world where I get accused of being conservative simply, simply for saying, why are these kids getting in trouble for supporting the president? How absurd is that to, to come out and be like, yeah, go, go president. And now you're in trouble. So the point is simply by me being outside the establishment for, for me challenging the system in the way it's operating, I get punished. If you like the video, share it, but let's, uh, let's read the news. So this is from uh, the New York Post it's from a couple days ago, but let's read anyway. A high school cheerleading squad in North Carolina was put on probation Monday for posing with a pro-President Trump banner at a football game. Seriously. Members of the North Stanley High School squad posed for photos with the Trump 2020 Make America Great Again flag at an August 30th game on American Night. On American Night, in which students were encouraged to dress patriotically, the Stanley News and press reported. So now we can see the story is actually even more insane. The kids are told to be patriotic, and now they're in trouble for supporting the president. Look, man, you guys know you watch my videos all the time. I'm, you'll never see me wearing a MAGA cap or waving a Trump flag, but I don't care. I wouldn't do the same thing for Obama. I don't like, the, I don't like politics. I don't like politicians. I have no problem calling them out when they need to be called out. But this is like baiting the kids into getting them in trouble. Hey, come on, be patriotic. So they say, okay, well, wear, wear Trump stuff. No, anything but that. There, there are people in this country who believe that Trump shouldn't be president, was never elected president, and they're weird and they're creepy. And for some reason, people bend the knee to them. What y'all need to realize is the crazy people who would get mad about this are like 0.001% of the country. I did a video where I went to a skate park and I was talking to skateboarders. Skateboarders are very left, okay? They're, they don't like authority. They don't like cops. And I said, you know, how do you feel about Trump? And they were like, oh, I don't like him. And I was like, how do you feel? Like, what would you do if you saw someone like a Trump hat? And they'd be like, what do you, what do you mean? Like, what, what would you do if you saw someone like a MAGA cap walking around? They'd be like, I don't know, nothing. I mind my own business, I guess. Nobody wanted, like, there's no, what do you mean? Like, it's a person wearing a hat. I don't care. And I asked them, like, what if you saw like a bunch of people waving Trump flags? They'd be like, yeah, I don't know, whatever. Like, they don't care. That's regular people. So these are skateboarders, people who are on the left who don't care about this. Why is everyone getting bent, like bent out of shape? It's so absurd. One photo depicting seven girls in red, white, and blue uh, cheer uniforms and two boys in red MAGA caps with the banner circulated on social media. And there it is. The woke outrage crew on social media went after the school and the school bent the knee. How, what, what is Twitter? Is it the Borg? Like, what are you so afraid of? It's a bunch of random people who are angry for no reason. Some residents questioned why the political message had been allowed. All North Carolina high schools have a policy that prohibits students from displaying political signs on campus or at school events. So that I can understand. Okay, fine. If you're going to have a rule for it, but I got I to gotta admit, I still think it's a weird thing. District officials said the following day that the act wasn't endorsed by school or staff and that a student had brought the banner in and taken the photo before the game. Excuse me. The North Carolina High School Athletic Association reprimanded the team on Monday, but hasn't def- defined the terms of the probation. And the squad is expected to continue cheering, the school district said in a statement. So you know what it really sounds like? It sounds like a fake appeasement of the woke outrage on social media. Like, oh, no, we're going to put him on probation. Yo, yeah, they support the president. You're going to get in trouble. They say 
the focus on uh, the focus of Friday night football games should be on our students, the players, cheerleaders, band members. The focus should not be on politics, Stanley County Schools said. For this reason, we are hopeful the situation will resolve and our student athletes can have a successful fall season. Probation, which can last up to one year, isn't a form of punishment, but a notice of behavior or action that is against NCHSAA handbook policy or contrary to expectations of sportsmanship and proper behavior, Commissioner K. Tucker told McClatchy News Group. Still, some residents were outraged by the, by, uh, about the reprimand. I am totally shocked by this, one person wrote on Facebook. I don't care if you're a Republican or Democrat. You should have the right to openly support the president of the United States. I agree. How is, it's so nuts. There really is a growing group of people in this country that don't think Trump is an American or something like that. I mean, MSNBC had Jonathan Chin in the air saying Trump may be an asset, asset since 1987. Listen, I don't care if the, the, the point of the probation is to just make it seem like they're doing something. There should be no ground seated in this capacity. It is insane that we're at a point where kids are getting in trouble for simply holding up a sign for the president. I get it. They don't want people to think that they're endorsing it. But the reality is nobody would have cared about this before social media. Stop acting like Twitter and Facebook are a person that can do something. What's the worst case? You know what, man? You know how many, po- like how many people tweet at me every day with insane nonsense threatening me? I can't, I can't tell you how many, okay? I've got 382,000 followers or more or something. I don't know. 382,000 followers. I get it all day, every day. Your high school has like a hundred or a thousand followers, if that. You think the outrage directed at you is going to do anything? Nothing is going to happen. No one is going to come to the school. No one's going to take your money away. Stop bending the knee. What's the worst case scenario? Say you work at a bakery. Someone calls your bakery. Did you know that so-and-so is a Trump supporter? Great. Then you know what, man? If you're not willing to stand up for what you believe in, be it the president or otherwise, then you don't deserve to have the job. You don't deserve to have the freedom and the security. That's the point. Too many people are willing to bend the knee to the outrage mob, and they have no power. It's, it's so frustrating for me that you got a bunch of high school kids standing up there holding up a sign for the president. So what? Who cares? Get, go, go complain about something else. You know what? This is why I like Jimmy Dore. Jimmy Dore is a progressive. Jimmy Dore is very left. I don't know if you guys know, he's got a YouTube channel. And th- he did this comedy bit about Steven Crowder. And it was so funny. You guys remember when Steven Crowder and the Carlos Maza thing happened? Jimmy Dore does a stand-up bit. And he's like, this guy Carlos Maza is trying to get Steven Crowder banned. Who cares? Don't watch him. What are you doing? <laughs> and I'm like, I-, I agree. There are a bunch of people I don't watch on YouTube. There's a bunch of stuff I don't want. Could you imagine if we went around trying to get every single bit of content banned we didn't like. It's a full-time job. In fact, you'd probably never sleep again. Oh, there's a flat earther. There's a flat earther. There's an anti-vaxxer. Am I going to sit down and complain about every single channel? These people are insane. Stop listening to them, please. Other, so, so other users created a Facebook event calling for supporters to attend this week's game in support of the team. Good, go do it. Please come out and help me show the school and the NCHSAA that freedom of speech is not dead. Please bring all your Trump and MAGA gear, and let's throw our support behind the North Stanley High School cheerleaders. District officials said the policy against political displays on campus or school events does not prohibit students from speaking their minds or engaging in, in protected First Amendment activities. So then why are they in trouble? 
because the cheerleaders were in uniform and were acting as representatives of the school, the display of the sign could be perceived as the school or school system endorsing a political campaign. The official said, yeah, well, that's too bad because it's not what it was. And the fact that you would cede even an inch, that's what they do. You give an inch, they take a mile. Look, man, I don't care who you you want to vote for. If you want to stand up and wiggle a little sign in there, you go ahead and do it. I got other things to worry about. I don't care the kids did this. Okay, I just literally don't care. But you know what I do care about? When you give that inch, you back away and say, okay, even if you're pretending to punish the kids, you are setting an example that other people will see. Just stop. I want you to ask yourself, whenever the outrage mob comes for you, what's the worst that could happen? It blows my mind that people tell me like the anxiety and the stress I got from the mean people on Twitter. So what, dude? You have no idea. Okay. You know, I know people who have no followers, who have very small presence. They're not particularly public. And they get a bunch of tweets sent their way and they start panicking. Why? What do you think is going to happen? You think the dude in in San Francisco who's calling you a Nazi is going to show up to your house and and punch you in the face? Do you think you're going to lose money? Like, what do you, what do you think is happening? Go in the backyard, sit in the grass, read a book, and it all, it's all gone. It doesn't exist when you close your eyes. It's that easy. And the school now is punishing children, or I shouldn't call them children, but high school kids for, for supporting the president. He's the, he's the president of the United States. What world do you live in that you would do this? Okay, I get it. They have a rule against displays as representatives, whatever. I still think it's nuts. If it wasn't for social media, no one would care. No conversation. So grow up and grow a pair. I got a couple more segments coming up in a few minutes. Stick around. I'll see you shortly. So there was a story not that long ago about a mechanic that was apparently sabotaging an airplane. I saw the story. I didn't think too much of it because, I don't know, it's kind of a weird story. But there were a lot of conservatives that, in my opinion, jumped the gun and said, this guy's going to be a terrorist. It's going to be proven. And we see this kind of often, right? Whenever there's a big story, you'll see the left, like, you know, a big tragedy. The left will say something like, five, four, three, two, one, until it's a white male. And you'll see the right, you know, saying like, how much you want to bet they yelled a certain phrase. And I always sit back and wait. I don't tackle these stories because you need to let the dust settle. Otherwise, you end up looking like a fool. You get a lot of people on the left saying, I bet it was a white male. Oh, turns out it wasn't. You got people on the right saying, I bet it's someone who's who's Muslim. Turns out it wasn't. However, every so often, somebody hits the nail on the head with the hammer. In this instance, the mechanic is accused of being tied to ISIS and of visiting Iraq and sending money. So now they actually think this guy may have actually been radicalized. It may have actually been, you know, uh, jihadist terror. So let's read this story. And I have another scary airplane story that's not really related, but we'll, 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 we will read this. And please don't be scared of airplanes after this, but you know, what am I going to do? Before we get started, head over to timcast.com slash donate if you would like to support my work. There's a PayPal option, a crypto option, a physical address. But of course, share this video. Boy, I'll tell you what, The likelihood that YouTube allows this video to get off the ground is slim to none. Why? We're going to be talking about jihadi terror. Yeah, you betcha. And of course, it is against the rules of YouTube to talk about certain groups in certain ways. So I don't know what will happen with this video, but I kid you not. They added new rules and apparently pointing this out might get me in trouble. So I'll only say this. It's a Fox News story. Spare me, YouTube. Let me talk about Fox News, please. If you like the video, please consider sharing it wherever you can to help overcome that deranking. And I do have another story about airplanes, but uh, let's, let's start with this one. There's an American Airlines mechanic accused of sabotaging plane denied bail over possible terrorist ties. 
A federal judge on Wednesday denied bail to a former American Airlines mechanic accused of sabotaging a jetliner in July over possible links to the Islamic State. U.S. Magistrate Judge Chris McAlilly, sorry, uh, McAlilly, McAlilly, ordered Abdul Majid Maruf Ahmed Alani held during a Miami court hearing. He is charged with willfully damaging, destroying, or disabling an aircraft. Now, I, I will stress, when it comes to the people who came out and said they, they were betting this guy was going to have ties to, to certain, you know, um, terrorist groups, his name is what leads people, many people, not everybody, but his name probably led people, a lot of people to believe that. Here's, I have a problem with that, okay? Because that's, I don't, I don't, you know, you can't take someone's name from a certain culture and associate them with, with extremists. I really, really do not like how you have some people saying, you know, oh, I bet it's a terror, terrorist or something. You have the same thing the left does with white men. They're like, white men are the greatest threat, blah, blah, blah. I don't care, dude. I don't like that you're segmenting people based on race when the reality is they're just nuts, okay? They're extremist, crazy, violent people with bad ideas who want to hurt people. That's all I care about. I don't care what the color of your skin is. I don't care what your name is. I don't care if your name is a number and you got weird parents who call you Apple or something. Just don't be a crazy person who wants to hurt everybody else. Respect life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. We're all good. So, you know, people jumping the gun, hey, you know, let's chill out. But, it, but I, I get it. I get it. A lot of people complain about profiling. Profiling is just human pattern recognition. And sometimes you can determine some things about an individual based on their culture or their race. Sometimes. The problem is we, when we reduce an individual to a group characteristic, and that is unacceptable. In this instance, you can think whatever you want, but this person should be given the same due process as everyone else. And to clarify what I mean about what you can tell about people based on race, I went to Thailand. I was taller than everybody. Like literally, I could see over everyone's head. It was Chinese New Year, and I'm standing there, and everybody was like, you know, six, seven inches shorter than me. Yeah, these things exist. It's reality. In this instance, however, the most important thing is, while we can recognize certain patterns based on culture, race, or whatever, individuals are the most important, you know, minority. Protecting the individual rights, guaranteeing due process, period. In this instance, they believe they found ties to ISIS. Therefore, he is not having uh, bail granted. Totally acceptable. Let's read. Prosecutors presented evidence that Alani, a naturalized American citizen from Iraq, has a brother with possible ties to ISIS and a history of statements wishing harm to non-Muslims. And there you go. You can't go around wishing harm to people and then sabotage a plane. You'll get caught. Well, at least, at least in this instance, thank God he did. They said he recently sent $700 to someone in Iraq and has videos on his cell phone depicting murders committed by ISIS militants. He also failed to disclose to arresting authorities that he traveled to Iraq in March. Now, traveling to Iraq, that's the more worrying thing. But I, but I must stress, in and of itself, going to Iraq and sending someone money is nothing. Combine that with his statements. Combine that with the videos on his phone. Now you've got, you know, you've got something appear, you know, you know, popping up. But I will also stress that one key point is the fact that he wishes harm to non-Muslims. Because if he didn't, you could argue that the videos on his phone was because he opposed it. He was scared. He was sending his brother money. But in the end, he's saying these things, you know, that you get. You may be very sympathetic to terrorists, McAlilly told Alani at the hearing. That's very disconcerting. The judge said that Alani's ability to travel abroad factored into her decision and that it is likely you will be convicted. Alani, 60, worked as a mechanic for the airline when he allegedly sabotaged a NASA-bound seven th- a Boeing 737 with 150 passengers and crew aboard at Miami International Airport over stalled labor negotiations. Oh, that's weird. He allegedly told investigators the labor dispute between the mechanics union and the airline had a negative financial impact on him. Prosecutor said 
Alani glued styrofoam inside the nose of the aircraft that disabled a part used to gauge airspeed and other critical flight data. Pilots detected the issue before takeoff, and the plane was taken to another part of the airport for an inspection. That's when the problem was discovered. Well, okay, so things are, are a little weird, perhaps. Well, you know what? No, I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm not going to say what I was going to say. I'm going to say this. I don't care about labor negotiations. I don't care what he's claiming. If the dude is sending money and traveling to these places, his family has ties, and he's made these statements, then anything about labor negotiations is a lie as far as I'm concerned. This dude, at least in my opinion, was trying to hurt people. That's it. He was trying to hurt people. Prosecutors said, styrofoam, airport surveillance captured Alani working on the plane's nose. He was identified by coworkers. Alani's public defender argued his client is an experienced mechanic who knew the alleged sabotage would result in the plane being grounded. We don't think they're going to be able to prove he intentionally put people in danger, said attorney Christian Dunham. The plane would have been, uh, would, would have, the plane would have been fine to fly. With its sensors disabled? Nah, I don't. Alani was fired after the incident and the Federal Aviation Administration revoked his aircraft mechanics certificate. He's expe- he is expected to enter a plea Friday. Well, I'll tell you what. Far be it from me to ever trust the government. I, I'm probably going to do a video. Maybe my next one will be talking about why I don't trust the government. But I'm not surprised people don't trust the government. Well, the point I'm making is, if the prosecutors say these are, these, are, these are the circumstances, okay, innocent until proven guilty. You know, they, they wouldn't be saying they had it if it wasn't true. You know, uh, evidence and conviction are two different things. If they come out and they're publicly stating he's done these things, then I think it's fair to say to a certain degree that's true. The question is, to what extent has he wished harm to people? Where, what, what, what are his brother's supposed ties? And look at this. The, the headline says possible terrorist ties, but they're actually saying his brother has possible ties. I don't want to play this game. Okay, innocent until proven guilty. I don't gotta like the guy. He did sabotage the plane. I think that's that. They, I think his public defender has even admitted that. But come on, I want to see innocent until proven. I want to see uh, uh, evidence beyond a reasonable doubt. But I also want to highlight one other story. So I'm gonna I'm gonna end this one and, and jump over here. In-flight chaos as Delta flight plunges almost thirty thousand feet. Now I know these stories are completely unrelated. Well, actually, they're like ninety nine point nine percent unrelated. The reason I highlight it. It's just that when you hear stories about this from Fox News, people are going to get really freaked out. And I think we need to see all of the evidence laid out in front of us before we make a determination as to any potential threats, why he may have done it. He says a labor dispute. I honestly don't believe it. Okay, if he's made statements, I really don't believe it's a labor dispute. But you combine it with stories like this. This story is from today. The plane fell from 39,000 feet to 10,000 feet. I can imagine all of these people in this plane are going to have, have like a trauma or a panic attack. And that's going to translate into what we see with this story. When people are scared, they act irrationally. This story, whether or not anybody involved had anything to do with any, you know, we don't know where the, where the plane fell. It's just that you see these stories in the news and people are going to draw their own conclusions and they're not going to care what's true or not. I'm not saying people should or shouldn't. I'm just saying it to, to make the point that, you know, the more stories we have like this, the more people overreact. And, you know, I I shouldn't even say overreact, just that people are going to be scared of flying more than they already are. They ban liquids. This is what causes escalation. I want to make sure that when I show these stories, the point I'm leaving you with is chill. Just chill. Just chill. We don't want to go too far with it. We want to make sure that we, we understand anomalies happen. We might not be able to secure everything all the time. 
This stuff's going to happen no matter what you do, and you can't stop it. There's going to be bad people doing bad things. Sometimes planes malfunction. Don't assume the worst, okay? For the time being, I just, I guess, that's what I'm trying to say. I'm just trying to say, don't freak out from any of these stories. Go on your flight, live your life, don't live in fear, and don't take this. I, I guess my biggest concern is that people take stories like these, they take that fear and they, they translate it into voting for strong men and authoritarianism and things like that. And that's the last thing we need. So I'll leave it there. I got one more segment coming up in a few minutes. Stick around and I will see you all shortly. A couple months ago, a story was published about a cop who was planting drugs on people he had pulled over. This was later, uh, this was recently published by Now This News. Let me uh, pull this up uh, today. It's an old story, but this video is getting a ton of traction. It says body cam footage shows this cop repeatedly planting drugs during traffic stops. He now faces felony charges. Good. There are a few really important points that need to be brought up. And I want to talk to you. I want to tell you a story about how I've actually experienced this. And my good fortune, my, my, my dad's a firefighter, got me, away, got me out of a potential framing incident. And so I'll talk to you about the police and my opinions and how I feel about it. I want to stress, however, in the, uh, first and foremost, the story is old. It was just recently republished by now this because they're going to get clicks. They get it. But the story is from July. The dude's getting in trouble. But these people were victimized. The first and most important point I want to make in the video, the guy's victims are white people. Okay, and it's funny that now this is pushing the story uh, because now this is very woke. They work with anti-Trump activists and they usually try and play the race card on a lot of issues. I mean, you can see the, the background they use. Now this is very much leftist and woke. In the video they posted, they show the body cam footage where he's pulled over white people. Yes, because corruption knows no color. It can come from and victimize anyone. I'm from the south side of Chicago, man. It was a mixed area. We had white people, black people, Latinos, Asians, and the cops don't care what color you are. I've seen white people get beaten up. I've seen brown people get beaten up. The cops don't care. And I'm not saying all cops. Absolutely not. I've actually, in Chicago, been saved by cops more times than I've been inconvenienced by them. But admittedly, the stories of the inconveniencing stand out because they're terrifying. I almost got mugged once. I was walking down the street, and this tall guy came up to me and started telling me to empty my wallet, just give him money and do the right thing because he needs it, he doesn't want to hurt anybody, and I laughed. Because first of all, I'm broke. I'm like, it's, this is like 10, you know, this is like 13 years ago. And I laughed, and I was like, okay, dude, like, I don't got any money. You're not robbing me for anything. You could literally go through my pockets. you find an empty wallet. All I have is an ID in it. But the guy, he, he persists. A cop comes out of nowhere grabs this guy and slams him against the fence and screams, not in my town. And it was one of the most like epic movie moments I've ever witnessed. And I was kind of like, you know, I had adrenaline rush when this guy was going to mug me because I'm like, I don't know what this guy's going to do. He accused me of like hiding money in my shoe or whatever. It was funny because we were on the north side of Chicago in a nice area, but I live on the south side. Turns out the guy who was mugging me lived like five blocks away from me. It's like, hey, congratulations, buddy. You're a moron. But anyway, cop saved me. And I've had many instances, instances like this, small, minor things where, like, that's a very memorable moment. Most of the small things I encounter with police, not really worth my time. But I've had a few really negative encounters. There have been instances where, in one instance, uh, me and my brother were driving, and a cab driver hit us, like, t was trying to, trying to cut in front of us and hit the side of our car. 
When we ended up, we went to the police station. The cops totally got our back, took care of us, and they were super professional and said, we understand. Don't worry. You're not going to, you know, we understand what happened. The cab driver was trying to claim we hit him because he hit us. And he said, like, we turned into him. It made no sense. Now, I want to tell you about the time I actually got uh, cops trying to plant drugs on me. So for those that aren't familiar, I used to work for American Eagle Airlines. This is back when I, I started when I was 18. Um, and I worked there for just over two years. So this was when I worked for them. I used to work double shifts, which is you get in, like I wake up at 3.30 in the morning, get there at like 4, 4.30 or 5, shift starts at 5.30, you work until 2, and then I would actually punch back in and do another long shift. So I worked a lot because the pay wasn't that good. And, you know, trying to support yourself, it was like, I think I was getting 11 bucks an hour. It was brutal. Well, one day I got pulled over. Now, here's what, here's what happened. I, I tweeted about this, and I want to I just say the first thing is, when I tweeted this story, I didn't realize that the initial tweet didn't have the context of this was 15 years ago. So I think a lot of people thought it was real. But I've had a lot of people say they don't believe it. I can't believe this. Is this real? Did this really happen? Oh, yeah. So let me, let me, take, you down, let me, let me take you through a stroll down memory lane. The year was, uh, I don't even know, 2005, I think? Was it 2005 or 2006? I was driving home after a double shift. I'm in uniform. We have like, I think it was, I think I was wearing like a jumpsuit. You, they, they have like uh, jumpsuits you can wear, but they also have uh, button ups and you can wear dickies. I may have been wearing the, the dickies or the jumpsuit. I can't remember um, exactly. If it was winter, I was wearing the jumpsuit. I'm driving, driving perfectly. I get pulled over. I don't drink. I don't smoke. If anybody, you guys watch my content, you know this about me. I have smoked a couple times in my life, not for me, didn't like it. And it was when I was like 15 or 16. I was like, man, that's dumb. I don't have anything to do with that. I watched friends get lazy and I wanted to be good at things. So I, you know, when I skated, I was like, no way, not for me. I've, I've seen very good skateboarders waste away to that stuff. And so, but, but you know, look, I, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty hippie-ish. Like, I don't care what you do. You live your life. Just don't hurt other, hurt other people. I also don't drink. Um, I, I, you know, so that's, there you go. Back then it was actually, there was a period where I did drink. This was before that. Then there was like a year where I partied a lot. Anyway, I digress. I got pulled over and the cop comes to the window and said something like, immediately says, you, you, you're swerving. And I, I, swerving? I'm absolutely not swerving. Absolutely not. It was a long stretch, empty road, and I'm driving just fine. Almost immediately, he pulls me over. I roll the window down. You know, my dad taught me the things to do. He turned the engine off, put the keys in the dash, put your hand on the wheel. He walks up and he says, yeah, you were swerving back there. Is everything? And then he stops and goes, sir, I smell marijuana. And I was like, I'm, I'm sorry. And he's like, I smell marijuana now out of the car. And I was like, uh, excuse me, officer. And he goes, I smell marijuana. This gives me probable cause. Search the vehicle. Get out of the car now. And I was like, okay. So I get out of the car. Whether or not I was supposed to get out of the car, I have no idea. I get out of the car and immediately the cop like grabs my arm, walks me back to his car and calls for backup. And within a few minutes, backup arrives. He cuffs me, hands behind my back, and the other officer from the other vehicle holds the cuffs. He then starts asking me a bunch of like generic questions. I don't know what he's doing. While the other cop puts on gloves and starts searching through my vehicle. And I have no idea what's going on. I said very little. And you know, the the cop asked me like, what are you doing? Where are you going? And I was like, leaving work, going home going to work tomorrow. Where do you work? I work for American Eagle Airlines. The cop walks back out, the first cop, and he walks up to me and in his hand is a nugget of marijuana. Not mine. I don't smoke. And he goes, sir, can you explain this to me? And I was like, uh, 
No, I don't know. I don't. I don't. I don't even know what that is. Like, I don't even know what weed looks like, dude. So, like, holding that in front of me, I'm like, I don't know. Is that like just like a piece of dirt or something? He's like, it's marijuana, sir. Can you explain to me? I was in your car, and I said, did you put it there? And he was like, no, sir. I found it in your car. And I was like, that's not true, because I don't smoke. I didn't say it like that. I was like, no, that's not true. I, I don't smoke. And he was like, sir, I'm going to ask you to cooperate with us and tell me now to confess. Or, like, I, I ask you now to confess. And I said, I work for American Eagle Airlines. It's American Airlines Regional, for those who don't know. I work for American Eagle Airlines. Like They have a strict drug testing policy. I don't smoke. And he's like, I'm going to ask you nicely again. Confess. And I was like, that's not mine. And then he said, he, he was like, this is going to get really bad for you. It's going to get really bad for you unless you cooperate. And I want you to tell me now what, like, what this is. Tell me why it was in your car. And I said, I don't know, man. Did you put it there? I refused to cooperate. And so this cop, I don't know exactly what he did, but the other cop who's holding me starts saying something. And I'm like, I don't know what you're talking about, man. It's not mine. I don't smoke. So the first cop, I guess, I don't know what his plan is. He goes back to my car. And here's where the interesting thing happens. Inside my glove box was a decal for the fight. Like it's an international firefighter association or something like that. My dad's a firefighter. And he, at the time he was in, in Chicago, he's a firefighter. So my dad gave me the decal and said, stick it on your car. It's, you know, family members and firefighters. My brother has one. So the cop then goes to the glove box. The cop next to me is talking to me. You know, I, I can't remember exactly what he was saying, but I was just like, I don't know, man. Like, it's not mine. I'm going to work. Like, this is ridiculous, blah, blah, blah. The first cop walks back over and he just goes, hey, who's a firefighter? And I said, my dad. And then immediately he looks at the guy, waves. The guy behind me uncuffs me. The first cop goes, go home, kid. And they get in their car and they drive off. Firefighter privilege. That's what happened. And I got in my car. No warning, nothing written down, nothing said. That was the end of it. And so I got in my car and I drove home and I went to sleep. And I didn't think too much of it, but I did tell friends and family like, these cops were trying to force me to confess to something that wasn't mine. And the absolute worst case scenario was they just claimed they found it in my car and what am I supposed to do about it? The point is, there are people who seem to be like shocked that I would, would be tweeting this out. I've also had cops kick my door in and come into my house with their guns drawn, looking for a guy who didn't live there because he used to live there. Yeah, we have something called a Fourth Amendment right. You can't do that. You need a warrant. They didn't have one. They just thought Jimbo lived in my house, whatever the guy's name was. So they come in with their guns out, not pointing at us or anything, but their guns out like, where is he? Where is he? And we're like, what are you talking about, man? Like, what are you doing? I've also had cops pull me over in Chicago at gunpoint and, and yelling us to get out of the car, all illegal searches. So the point is, man, First of all, don't assume just because I have bad stories, I think all cops are bad. I think the ACAB stuff from the far left is insanity. This is a criminal. Criminals exist. This is the important point. I have been victim to things like this. I was lucky. My dad's a firefighter. Not everybody is lucky. So I'll recognize the privilege of having a, a, a father who works for the city and the cops, not city cops, by the way, it was suburb cops, did, were, were like professional courtesy. We won't frame the son of a firefighter, I guess. It could also be that the word of a firefighter's son who works double shifts is, go, like, is, is going to carry weight and it's going to cause them problems. I don't know why they walked away. T probably because they, there's, a, there's a courtesy where it's like, okay, it's a firefighter's kid. We better not. He works with us, you know, whatever. The point is, I've been victim to a lot of this stuff. I've seen bad cops. I've experienced bad cops. And the overwhelming majority of the interaction I have with cops is tepid at best. 
They're not typically heroes in my book, and they're not typically villains. They're people working in offices, filing paperwork, and grumbling at the homeless guy who keeps throwing milkshakes around, and they got to deal with it. They're regular people who are frustrated sometimes, and regular people who risk their lives when dangerous things happen, and regular people who get scared and freak out. There are a lot of problems with how police operate. I get it, and culture and stuff. The point is, this is my story. People don't necessarily believe it. Well, it happened, okay? It was 15 years ago. I'm getting, I'm, I'm forgetting a lot of details. It's just to, my, to the best of my ability, it's how I remember it. Even after all that, I don't hold this overwhelming negative view that all cops are evil. I think they have a tendency not to police their own. I think most of them do just fine. I recently had a crazy guy show up to my house. The cops showed up and were nothing but professional and helped me out. Came back within minutes when the dude showed back up. So out of all of the experiences I've had, and I've had many, 95%, okay, have been professional and particularly helpful. There have been about 4.9%, which have been frustrating and bureaucratic. And there's been 0.1% where I had a bad interaction with some bad cops. It happens. What do we do about it? Somebody's got to watch the watchmen, internal affairs, but I don't know. It is tough because I've had bad interactions and nothing comes of it. But there you go. I don't want to make this video super long. That's the story I tweeted about. Some people didn't believe it was real, but you know, there you go. Anyway, stick around. Next segment will be tomorrow at 10 a.m. <laughs> I will podcast at 6.30 p.m. Thanks for hanging out. I'll see you all next time.